Hello and welcome to Don't Publish This Podcast. My name is Anthony Arnott. And my name is Andrew Williams. Hello, and we are Fire Action. Um, Andrew, would you like to spend a little bit of time, just a little bit of time, uh, telling everybody, all two of them, um, what this podcast is all about? No, just kidding, no. Um, so, <laughs> basically, uh, we will be given a category each week, a genre of story, and we have 1,000, 1,500 words to come up with the worst, shoddiest possible story, which is somewhat cohesive, uh, yeah. which we'll then read to each other, and the shoddiest story shall win. Does that sound about right to you? Pretty much, yeah. The, the whole idea was to see who can write the, the best, worst story, basically, um, in any kind of genre. Way. Mm. That was a much better way of putting it than, than my, my way of putting it. Um, we yes. should we should yeah. note a couple of things. Should bring a couple of things to uh, the listeners' attention. Um, one is that this is by no means the first attempt at this podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. It's um... we had a horrific. No, no, not horrific. No, that's 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 too harsh a word. I feel um, a, not a great. <laughs> <laughs> a ghastly, ghastly yes. recording the other night. Quite, quite um, apt, really, given the horror-themed nature of this evening's um, stories. Uh, indeed, indeed. Do you know? Yeah. You've just given me, giving me chills because I'm wondering. You know, given have, have we have we dabbled in something dangerous here? You know, have have we made supernatural things? You know, if this was if this was a podcast whereby the <laughs> stories were a little more child friendly um rather than the terrifying tales that um we're about to read would that sort of thing have happened um i think you would probably need a listenership for that whether it was the human kind or the demonic kind yeah uh, you sure. still need someone to actually like tune in and listen to that anyway shall we uh shall we crack on Yes. Now, um, just again, just just touching on. Um, la- was it last week? The weekend? When the weekend? Week, yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't really Please matter. Just, it could be Christmas. Uh, it could be Easter. It could be yeah. Halloween. Anyway, um, yeah. So we yeah. we did do a toss of the coin to see who would go first, and mm-hmm. um, in keeping with the running order, um. I won that toss. So should we should we go for the original order just so we don't confuse ourselves too much? Yes. Uh, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um and I've and made I will absolutely... sit and pretend that I've never heard this story before in my life. And I will pretend that the the story that I wrote in, in one sitting has not had two minor changes since the last reading. So you're going to hear for the first time. <clears throat> Satan's trousers. <laughs> I don't know what that noise is. It sounds like a balloon deflating. That is uh, out the dog on our side playing with a rather squeaky toy. <laughs> you know, because timing, this timing is 
determine is impeccable. Let's say. <laughs> yes. I um I was just there setting the atmosphere, uh, and then I heard <laughs> in the background, and I, I thought I, I'm not going to lie, I was absolutely gutted. I thought we were having sound tech issues again. Um, <laughs> so I'm quite happy it's the dog. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> Satan's trousers. <clears throat> Barry, you are not buying those trousers. They've got blooming stains on them. Barry was a tight man. His first two wives had already divorced him for similar behaviour. So it was no surprise he was stood here, counting the pennies from his pockets, he was too tight to buy a wallet, and deliberating over whether or not to buy the 75 pence pair of charity shop trousers he held before him. The only real surprise was that he had managed to snag himself a wife, let alone three. Uh, I should be clear, that is three. Uh, he's got two ex-wives. He's not got like a harem. <laughs> Perhaps. Was that one of the, uh, was that one of the rev- revised notes that you made? No, I just saw that one then. Uh, uh, I just realised he sounded like a Lothario and Barry is not. Perhaps it was something to do with the Ouija board he had played with, age 13, when a spotty but even then tight-fisted Barry had begged the spirits to help him find someone to fulfil his teenage fantasies. Patricia, his current wife, nor in fact Barbara or Ethel, were anything remotely close to his teenage fantasies, but beggars, as the saying goes, cannot be choosers. The spirits had, however, partly responded, perhaps a little mischievously, in selecting Barry's partners, but at least he was not alone. Hopefully for Barry, his wife's lack of appeal was what the spirits had warned him about when they had said the following. Take one day Satan's trousers, but no, in the future misfortune will follow. A short and somewhat cryptic message, but one that took a good 17 minutes for the spirits to relay to him via the Ouija board. No, Patricia, replied Barry, in perhaps the most dull and generic accent one could imagine. I'm having the trousers. Good luck, said the ferret-faced cashier as he snatched the 75 pence worth of copper coins from Barry. And I'll see you soon. An odd thing to say, but Barry was too excited to notice. Although Barry hadn't tried them on, he was certain the trousers would fit. If not, he would make them fit. There was no way he he would be passing up this bargain. He made his way home with a spring in his step, Patricia following miserably behind, Barry eager to try on his bargain. Neither he nor Patricia could have imagined what happened next. Like a scene out of a low-budget version of The Nutty Professor, the moment moment Barry began, there's an alliteration, (laughs) the moment began Badoo, the moment Barry began to pull on the trousers, the room was filled with a poof of green smoke. Would you look at that dust, Barry? I told you not to get those blooming traps. Patricia didn't have time to finish her sentence before the smoke cleared and stood before her was Barry, looking somehow stallion-like and rugged. Indeed. What do you think, Trish? Winked Barry in a soothing, gravelly voice, which, although clearly not his own, Neither he nor Patricia questioned. Before she even had time to respond, a newly confident Barry strode purposefully out of the house 
and somehow they both knew what was to happen next. He was off to meet his fourth wife. It was late afternoon when Barry left the house, and now in the early evening he moved panther-like through the red brick streets towards the one place he knew would behold a female worthy of becoming the new Mrs. Barry Barrington, the only place in that dilapidated old town enough to attract worthy females, Weatherspoons. As Barry's eyes fell on him, there was a brief lull in the gaggle of voices, and one older lady even dropped her pint of Foster's. This was unrelated to Barry's entering the room, but somehow added to the atmosphere and mystique of his arrival. Barry's eyes scanned the room like a hawk looking for prey, before his eyes came to rest on the closest thing he had ever seen to his teenage fantasy. With her tightly curled brown hair and lazily buttoned olive green cardigan, she looked almost exactly like the object of his teenage affections, Mrs. Blythe from the church choir. With Barry's spectacular trousers and newfound confidence, it didn't take long for him to persuade what turned out to be the Mrs. Blythe, who had barely aged 20 years in the 15 that had passed since he last saw her, away from a chagrined yet accepting Mr. Blythe. Barry and Blythe danced the night away to the sounds of the jukebox, line dancing like there was no tomorrow. Barry couldn't wait to see how the night would end, but something was starting to bother him. Barry felt tight. Not tight-fisted like usual, but tight down there. His dance steps were becoming ever more difficult as the movement in his legs became increasingly restricted. He glanced down and noticed that his trousers seemed to have changed. Uh, excuse me? stammered Barry, his gravelly tone changing mid-sentence into something more squeaky. Was he imagining things, or were his trousers shrinking? Barry shuffled awkwardly to the bathroom. He was trying to walk briskly and purposefully, but could not move properly. The trousers were definitely shrinking. Barry barged past a gentleman who was giving away lollipops and sprays of brute and old spice in exchange for loose change, and he fell into the nearest cubicle, slamming the door behind him. His heart raced as he looked down to see the trousers constricting him around him, the waistband now cutting into his middle-aged spread. He fumbled desperately for the buttons, but they had vanished. His thoughts raced through a million profanities as he desperately tried to dig his fingers under the waistband to remove the trousers, but his efforts were futile and left his fingernails gouging bloody marks into his protruding skin. Help! he screamed. Somebody get me out of these trousers! Suddenly, the door to his cubicle flung open, and above him stood the shadowy figure of one of the doormen. It's not that kind of place, he snarled, as he grabbed Barry by the collar before dragging him out onto the street. Barry crawled helplessly along as the trousers tightened and tightened. He thought they would never stop. <clears throat> it wasn't until the next morning that Barry was found. The coroner said he had never seen a man ass fixated to death by trousers before. Never before had the coroner been able to remove a pair of trousers from a corpse whose legs had been squeezed so tightly 
that all the fat and tissue from within had been forced up into its torso, giving the appearance of one half of a stress ball in mid-application. Never before had someone been buried in their dying trousers. And we are not buying those, those horrible trousers, scolded Mabel, as her husband held before her a pair of worn, stained charity shop trousers. Mabel, these are a bargain. Seventy-five pence. I'm having them. Mabel rolled her eyes as Brian took the trousers to the ferret-faced cashier. Good luck, said the cashier before smiling, and I'll see you soon. Well done, Mara. Well done. Um, much like the first four times I heard it. Yes, thoroughly enjoy that story. Thoroughly really enjoyed you. it. Um, couple of couple of couple of things. Obviously, like um, I particularly liked. And I'll, I know between me and thee, we've said this before, but I like this kind of the the nods towards Stephen Stephen King and, and Wallace and Gromit. Um, I, I think yeah. even the scene in uh, Weatherspoons. Yeah, I can almost kind of kind of picture that kind of almost Ardman style where like all eyes are on Barry as he kind of enters the place. Um and yeah. one old lady kind of kind of drops that pint of fosters. Um like even that is kind of, I can almost kind of picture like that in a in almost like a Wallace and Gromit kind of feature. Um Yeah. Yeah. The Wallace and Gromit, uh, W and G are a massive influence. Um mm-hmm. I think they're absolutely at the pinnacle of British comedy and that yeah. northern town kind of feel. Um I think even if even if I wasn't thinking of Wallace and Gromit, I think that that that's influenced it somehow. Um, yeah, definitely the line "Someone get me out of these trousers." That was that was Wallace and the wrong yes. trousers, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, I think I think where where your kind of like strength is in your writing is is definitely is definitely the dialogue, um, and you can kind of see that Wallace and Gromit kind of influence. Excuse me, in sure. there. Um, I think that, like, like you've just kind of nodded to it as well. I, I mean, I love stories where it's, it's, it's the, the where the action doesn't really fit the location, mm. doesn't fit the setting. Yeah. So it's almost like, um, like the Cornetto trilogy, as I mentioned the other night, where you've got kind of like Hollywood themes, if you like, but mm. set in like small British towns, and uh, yeah. like there's something about that that I that I always kind of like. I'm always kind of drawn to. Um, as as stories go, yeah, yeah. Oh no, that was um very much what I was going for. Um, I I I didn't want it to be. I just yeah, you you couldn't set it somewhere glamorous if you're going to write a story that's remotely shoddy. Um, it just had to be boring. You know, <laughs> just the most. I'm not going to name the town I was thinking of because you know listener three might be from there so I don't want to cause any offense we're both we're both from the north so I think we can say without causing any offense it's certainly in the north um (laughs) that's not as being northest but we can laugh at ourselves um one thing that I mentioned the other night um and kind of want to want to bring it up again today is the uh the bloke in the charity shop. I mean, I, th- I think I kind of asked you the other night whether he was the devil himself, um, and you kind of you kind of like alluded to the fact that it was like, oh, he's obviously like not a nice guy, um, because obviously yeah. that's kind of like the cleverness of of the line. Like, I'll see you soon. It's like well, obviously when you first hear it, 
you think he's talking with a customer, but then obviously, like as you kind of like story goes on, and obviously towards the end, you realize he's actually talking to the trousers. Something else which I quite like, like kind of like almost cyclical narrative. It kind of yeah, goes yeah. back to, and it kind of goes around and round it goes, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm particularly intrigued by that character, uh, particularly his ferret face. It really kind of like calls on, in my mind anyway, it kind of calls on um, nods towards Rule Doll, and I'm thinking particularly Matilda's dad, Mister Wormwood. Right, yeah, um, yeah. I'm gonna let you into a little secret here, um, oh, which I didn't I didn't reveal in in the original recording. Um, mm-hmm. There's a number of reasons. Um, two mainly that I went for ferret faced because actually, really, I imagine more of a a goat faced sort of oriental chap, a la I want to say gremlins. Um, but I liked mm-hmm. ferret faced because of the alliteration. Um, mm-hmm. and I'd also um I have been reading The Last Don by Mario Puzo, in which a character was described as ferret-faced, and I, I just really <laughs> liked that description. So I lifted it straight out of his book and placed it into mine. Um so yeah. That's quite a that's, that's quite a leap from um Roald Dahl to Mario Puzo. That's oh, that's not I mean, where the direction I was I was thinking that was gonna go, but no, no, no. Um, but, 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 you know, I like Roald Dahl. So if you want to compare me to Roald Dahl as well, feel free. I mean, you, you've, I'm not going to lie. You, you've massaged my ego significantly uh, with this story to the point where I'm thinking it's not shoddy enough. It's, it's a, it's a work <laughs> of absolute genius. Um, I think no, I think, I think, yeah. I get, I get, I get what you mean, but I think there's almost there's also that element of of enjoyment, and I think I think this is where, um, uh, as we will kind of like nod towards the end of this episode, we'll kind of just mm. just like decide who's got the best worst story of the two. Yeah. I think it's not an exact of... science, is it? It's you know, it, it it's got to be remotely enjoyable. Otherwise, no one wants to listen to a, a, a nonsensical podcast with two completely uninteresting stories. Um, yeah. So yeah, they've kind of got to be. And I'd, I'd not not to big ourselves up too much. They've got to be. They've got to be well written. Hey, nobody else is listening. Why not? Go for it. Yeah, maybe some. So yeah, maybe some sort of um, ludicrous story. I mean, maybe that's something in the name because we've not actually um, come up with a name for the podcast yet. So I mean, I, um, I introduced this episode as um, "Don't publish this podcast." But I mean, oh yes, that's right. No, 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 that's right. Of course, I, I just I missed that. Uh, maybe That's maybe the right. sound wasn't working. You, you weren't even you weren't even listening to your own podcast while it was getting recorded. <laughs> <laughs> that is the level of professionalism I bring to the. T- Shall we crack on with your story? Yeah. Uh, uh, no, sorry. Just just give uh, like a little bit of a uh, of an honest kind of opening. Um, we originally agreed on horror has been our as has been the inaugural genre of this podcast. Um, and then I, so I wrote something and then I kind of read it over again and thought it's not really like horrific enough. So I, I kind of like knocked this one together in, in the space of like a couple of days. Um, just 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 to kind of like again get a lot more of those kind of like horror tropes in there. So without further ado, this is Death at St. Lord Dogs. I'll be bumba shoot, the voice boomed. 
Alby turned, saw him, and began to zimmer for him away as quickly as he could. But all the corridors of St. Lordog's Court, a home for the elderly and infirm, were identical. So Alby Bumbershoot struggled to find his own room. Chased by a spooky being, Alby hammered his zimmer frame on the carpet, which looked a lot like a dizzy badger had thrown up and rolled in it, as quickly as he could to try and get away from the aforementioned spooky being. For the purpose of suspense, I'll not tell you who or what the spooky being is, but needless to say, it was getting faster and faster. Alby's zimmer frame was slammed harder and harder, but it wasn't enough. The spooky being caught up with Alby. No, please don't kill me, he begged, but... A little call back to your own story here, Mara. Beggars can't be choosers. And the mystery and mysterious spooky being chose not to listen to Albie and so killed Albie Bumbershoot, leaving him dead on the corridor floor. Not to sound disrespectful, but his dead corpse seemed to improve the badger vomit and roll pattern of the carpet. Tony Tunafish finished his song with a flourish and a, and a scattered applause around the communal area. Thank you. It's always a real pleasure to perform for you dudes and dudettes here at St. Lord Dogs, especially those numbers that have gone from the charts, but not from our hearts. He looked around the room as his audience either smiled at him or were fast asleep. Good. That means Dr. Spinal Cogsmith, the head of the facility, could wheel Alby's body out of the home behind them. I wonder who's gone this time, one of the awake crutchers said to a sleeping one. You only ever bring this Jack and Ninny in when there's been a death, and he's been in every day this past month. Tony heard the mutterings, but launched into his next song as the staff wheeled out the medicine trolley. Vegas this ain't, he thought to himself. Later that night, after his 11-hour, that's right, 11-hour set, Tony was packing up his microphone jumpsuit. On his way out, the staff at St. Lordog let go, come and go as he pleased. He noticed Moira shenanigan looking very frightened on the corridor. It was 7pm, so way past her bedtime, and she was walking quickly, as quickly as a woman her age could walk, towards him. To... Tony, she said, once once she'd reached him and got her, got her breath back. Yes, Moira. She then proceeded to tell him that something had been following her. A spooky being. Tony didn't believe her, even when she told him she feared for her life. After all, she was a batty old lady. The next day, however, Tony returned to St. Lower Dogs to find out that Moira Shenanigan had died the night before. Murdered, he said to himself, like something out of a horror story. Tony performed his set, 16 hours this time, before the staff came in to show the old people off to their rooms. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tony noticed that all of them, Kitty Sagittarius, Arthur Googly, Angus Stopwatch, and Betty Bigsaw, were too scared to go off their rooms. There's a murder on the loose, Angus Stopwatch exclaimed to Tony. I'll be Bumbershoot and Myra Shenanigan have already been killed this week. And last month, Bobby Clothes Horse, Ginny Gingerbread Man, Teddy Afternoon, and Mary Tomapitch all died under mysterious circumstances. Tony looks confused. Teddy Afternoon's my favourite. Tony looked confused. Oh, uh, uh, was You were sorry? It was, um, do you know what? The funniest one's gone out of my head because there's been so many others. I mean, I like shenanigans, but uh, uh, it'll come back. Sagittarius, Katie Sagittarius. <laughs> Sagittarius. Anyway, Tony looked confused. He was just about to say he hadn't noticed anything unusual about any of those deaths until the old people in front of him was talking about it, until Arthur Googly screamed, It's here! It's come to kill me! And ran off down the corridor as fast as his wheelchair could take him. That's bad writing. You can't <laughs> run in a wheelchair. Tony followed the elderly people as they followed Arthur Googly, but he was going too fast for them to see, but still slow enough so that they knew which corridor he went down, and slow enough still that they could still hear him 
as he screamed and shouted, Leave me alone, you meanie. By the time they found Arthur, he had reached his room, but was dead, still in his wheelchair. You see, Betty Jigsaw shouted at, at Tony, There's a killer on the loose. Tony was convinced. So convinced that he stayed the night. The staff thought it was rather weird, but he kept a watchful eye on the rooms of all the people that were telling him about the murderer. And nothing all, sorry, nothing happened all night until 3 a.m. And then, as he was sleeping, Tony's body, Tony, Tony's sleeping body was approached by Dr. Spaniel Cogsmith, who'd been secretly killing residents of St. Law Dogs for the past few months, an angel of mercy type of situation. But for Tony, it was simply to shut him up. Both his singing and his ability to talk about what he might find out, re the above angel of death stuff. As he was being murdered, Tony saw a spooky being beside him and it suddenly dawned on Tony Tunafish that, as well as a horrific murderer, often all people at St. Law Dogs, the deaths also occurred from death simply being death himself, coming to collect souls such as his want. It was just their respective times to shuffle off their respective mortal coil, just like people would think that, that has happened to Tony, even if he was before his natural time. Only he, and now you, know about it being before his natural time and that there's nothing he could do about it. The end. Well, Mara, if I wasn't <laughs> holding the phone in one hand, I'd be applauding against that hand with the other one. <laughs> Bang your hands together. So I, my favourite, I mean, the story itself, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I, I can't get over the fact my favourite part was, was just the list of names. <laughs> it 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 really tickled me from um from Katie Sagittarius and then just mm -hmm. onwards and through it it was it was just it was it was like honey in the ears it was delightful. Um, so we had I'll be I'll be Bumbleshoot. Yeah, we had Moira Shenanigan. Yeah, we had Tony Tuna Fish, who's who's yeah. probably going to be a recurring character. Nice, um, I like that. in this one. It, oh, it reminds me of, have, have you seen um, Man on the Moon? Yes. Uh, I forget the character's name. Um, Tony Clifton. Tony Clifton. I feel like he's Tony Clifton. I don't know if that's what you're going for. It's kind of, it's kind of that style. I like, I like the idea, and this could be something that, that is expanded later on and all that stuff. But I like the idea of someone who was, who was kind of nearly made it once, but still thinks he's kind of... In this, like on the scene kind of thing, and, he, and he's not. He's visually, I imagine him uh, much like Only Fools and Horses, the the guy who sings "Quiet" with the yeah, uh, yeah. That, it's that kind of that kind of kind of Tom Jones, yeah, not Tom Jones esque. Do you know what I mean? That kind of yeah. my, my, like, well, I mean, the, I think the only thing that's really mentioned of his appearance in this is he's got a jumpsuit, which is obviously like a, a nod to Elvis. Um, but he is he is a character that I've kind of like had in my head for about ten years now, and just needed to kind of like something with him. No, oh, excellent. And yeah. I, what I like about the story. It's actually you know quite good. Um, and maybe I've misread the situation. Maybe it's I don't know. Um, but that you wouldn't you know the the character who you think done it simultaneously did and didn't done it. If you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think what I was what I was thinking was like ah, I like the idea of of like an elderly, uh, like a home for the elderly. Sorry, just kind of like that being the scene because I feel like they're just not written enough about. 
I've kind of started off being a bit like a crusty, like obviously like a murder mystery kind of set up. Um, yeah. And then I did think, should I just pull the rug like under under the audience, under the readers, kind of feet a little bit and, and kind of just make it just, just death. And then I thought, no, it's just, it's it needs to kind of be bold. I didn't know how Tony Tuna Fish would kind of like work into that. Like, is he just going to, I don't know, just carry on trying to find the killer when it's just death, just being death or or what? And I thought, no, I quite like the idea of him. Him, I needed him to find out, but I suppose the only way that he could find out is if, if like, it happened to him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Before yeah, his time, yeah. um, which, yeah. which, which, which I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't a, I wasn't a big fan of. But then, I suppose with we're keeping like the one thousand word limit, I think that that weighs in at like nine hundred and eighteen words or something. I thought, See, what, what, no, what? I, I, I also quite like the idea of just cutting to the quick and just being, oh, by the way, this is this is what happens. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is like a not. Showing the story, which telling the story. The story writing styles between the two of them. Um, mine was a very slow burn till anything really happened. Um, whereas yours was like a typical, no, not typical. Uh, yeah, but it's it's like you see, you see, an incident, a horrific incident, and then you cut into normality. Whereas mine was just, um, a monologue of the mundane until someone's pants got really tight. <laughs> um, essentially, um, well, at the same time with yours, I think I, I liked I liked how the whole element of Satan's trousers is so sort of that this idea that like you like Satan's obviously like a bad guy, but yeah, you yeah. you get what you want. So he so uh, you mean character meets Mrs. Blythe and and charms her and, yeah, and all yeah. the rest of it. And, See, this is the bit of the podcast where where we're, we're so polite. So we're supposed to decide whose story we like best, and we're yeah. so polite. I feel like, yeah. I mean, even if yeah, so even like like some kind of never-ending game of tennis. So even if <laughs> we're being absolutely truthful, um, I, I I I know you would you would vote for me, and I would vote for you anyway. So maybe a couple of suggestions that we could have, yeah. um. The first one I think is absolute garbage because I don't think we can decide the winner via toss of the coin. Otherwise, the whole podcast may as well just be heads or tails. Yes, and and we save the effort of writing a story. I don't think you'd get. We're up to uh, just over thirty-two and a half minutes. I don't think we'd really get that much from the toss of a coin. No. Um, um. So the second one would rely on. Um, us actually having a, a, a listenership, which I'm hoping we will, yeah. and and maybe we could put up some sort of Facebook page, yeah, with on which people can kind of like say which one they do like, and we'll touch back on that in a future podcast at some point. Like, ah, oh, this one was the winner, or we'll do it on on the book or something, or the yeah. third, um. Which would need a bit more planning is 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 some kind of a point system. So yeah, which boxes you tick, and obviously you'd you'd, you'd have to tick two categories of box. So I'd put them into columns. Um, one being, have you actually put some effort into this to make it a story that has some kind of purpose or sense? Yeah, but then counterbalanced by, is it actually any good? Was it amusing? Was it yeah. was the story silly enough or too so some kind of point system based based on that? 
Um, I think I get I get what I get what you mean, but I think with the issue with that one would be like with the, with that being so subjective, we're kind of right back down to square one, and that, I think that would that would almost um, not stop, but at least postpone the kind of like the polite. No, I really like yours. No, you really like my story. Like I really like your story. Like, do you know what I mean? I think it would it would just be back and forth, but like in a, in a much more kind of convoluted way. It's just like okay. Like, so really... how about how about this? Which fight to the death? Which yeah? Uh, from I mean, we're not we're going to do well to throw some punches from here, and and I don't want to hurt you, mate. I'll tell you what. In this in this, in this instance, let's call it a draw because we're coming up to forty minutes. Okay, so I, think, I think we should go for a draw and then see if we can come up with some kind of point system or some kind of way of, of working it out before yes. next episode. Okay, so we um, don't have this the exact same conversation again. Yeah, and, and on that, um, next episode, so as you know, I have a suggested category because my story writing technique, just to, to, to wrap us up for this week, um, yeah. You come up with a story and then a title. The nice start. segue, by the way. Nice. It was, that was a nice segue into what thanks. we're going to talk about next episode. Thanks, thanks, thanks. I, uh, I. It's almost like I planned it. Um, I didn't. Well, I did about thirty seconds before I did it. Um, so, uh, you you come up with a story and then a title. Yes. Thus far, I have come up with a title and then a story to follow suit. So Satan's trousers was the first one. So so my um. Suggestion for the next assignment is um, a, cr- a crime thriller. Well, just just to our our listeners, all two of you, um, we'll not keep you. What me and you? We'll sure listen out for our next week's episode, and we'll like we just mentioned, we'll be taking on the thriller genre. So, thank you very much for listening. Thank you. And ciao for now. Ciao for now. Take care, Mara. See you soon. And you. Big love.